0: Well, hello there. This is Ray Morales with the Blind Spot. And today, my guest is Calvin Poole. Calvin, how you doing?
1: Good morning, Ray. I'm doing fine. And good morning to your, to your listening
0: audience as well. Well, thank you. Um, I tell you, it is such a beautiful day
1: here. Um, I don't know what it's like in Tennessee. Is that where you're at, Tennessee? Yes, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. It's a probably cloudy, but it's a nice day. Good. Well, Uh, Tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Calvin Poole, born right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, Married a little over 40 years, five children. Um, I grew up in a community in Memphis called Orange Mound Community. It's one of the oldest African-American communities in the country. And as a child, I, I remember, Ray, um, seeing a lot of entrepreneurs, doctors and carpenters and plumbers and different kinds. Of, most of the people on that street where I lived, it was kind of like um, 125th Street in Harlem, but it's called Park Avenue. Up and down Park Avenue, there were many, many businesses and that started me on my journey of entrepreneurship, and I always wanted to kind of work for myself and that I had a pretty good ground uh coming up in orange mound. I have um five brothers, five sisters um my parents ceased uh, have both ceased, and I've got two great wonderful grandchildren wonderful, and boy, it
0: must have been tough growing up in the in the south uh at that time I tell you i I am so um I don't know if sorry is the right word. I didn't have anything to do with it, but
1: Yeah. You,
0: you know, know I, I feel your pain, you know. It it was yeah. a tough time for everybody, I think.
1: Yeah, it you it it was tough, but at least then you knew who your adversaries were for the lack of a better word. Nowadays it's camouflage. Right, right, everybody's <laughs> yeah. trying to hide their yeah their back, then, back then you knew who who was who and who was who wasn't who, but in my community, in that community like I said, there was a lot of it's it's the oldest like I I say, African American community in the country and it, it was it was fun growing up in Orange mound, we uh-huh. had our own movie theaters, we had our own doctors, so we were kind of self sustained in that little community, right, yeah. It, it was definitely a different time. Definitely a different time. I do remember the segregated time as far as the colored water fountains and the white water fountains. But right. you know, like I said, this, back then you knew, like I said, who your adversary was. Today, you everything's camouflaged. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I, uh, I, I grew up, I spent uh, my senior year of high school was in uh, Paducah, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. and uh, i w- I was in shock when I went downtown right and saw colored only water fountains and yeah. colored only bathrooms and this was in nineteen seventy five
1: yeah yeah
0: you know and
1: i was just I was amazed that they were still there um, yeah I can I remember one time my mother and my one of my brothers was downtown Memphis uh to pay on one of her railway bills and we was in the store. My brother and I was waiting on my mom to come out the office to paying the bill. And we had the two water fountains, it said white water fountain and the colored water fountain. Right. And that white water fountain water looked so cold. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we looked around, we looked around, we looked around why, making yeah. sure wasn't about looking and slipped over there and got some of that water. And my mom came out the door and called us. And, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So was it any better? Yeah, it was just cold. I was wasn't cold. That's all. That's the only uh, difference.
0: Yeah. I thought maybe it tastes better because it
1: was forbidden, you know. <laughs> nah, it was just it was just cold. They had the refrigerated side. I was just plain water, you know. Well, um, tell me more about your your experience. You were in the navy, is that correct? Uh yes. I went into the navy navy reserve system in nineteen seventy six. Um. I joined the Navy in 76 with the boot camp in Orlando, Florida. Uh huh. And Ray, I tell you that when I joined the military, that was my first time actually being on the plane flying, right? Uh huh. So the night before, my friends and I went out and had a going away celebration for me. Right. So I'm a little hungover. So I got on the plane back then. You know, you could smoke and drink on the planes back then. So right, right. I had a couple of drinks, to, you know, and so. I didn't know anything about planes having to lay over and changing planes and all that kind of thing. So we landed in Fort Lauderdale and the first thing I saw were palm trees outside the plane. So I said, <laughs> oh, this must be my stop. <laughs> <laughs> so I jumped up, ran, ran off the plane and got in the runway, looked up and said, welcome to Fort Lauderdale. I was uh-uh, in the wrong place. So by the by the time I turned around and to go back to the plane, it was pulling off. So, oh my! Oh, no! So I, I I almost panicked, but I called my mom because she was full of wisdom. And right. She, and she said, "Son, just go find a navy Recruit station and let them know what happened." So I did just that, and I went and found a navy Recruit station and told them what had happened, and they gave me a bus ticket to Orlando, which is about another five hundred miles. Oh, wow. So keeping in mind, I was supposed to be in in Orlando by 2 o'clock in the afternoons. It was 2 o'clock in the morning I got there. Oh. So uh, I got there, and the little commander, his name was uh, Jones. Commander Chief Jones was my commander. And the first thing he said to me was, where you being, Jungle Bunny? (laughs) 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 So... So I just looked at him. And I said, "You know, coming from the south, you know, he kind of used to us." So I just looked at him; didn't say anything. But he ended up, after all of that, he ended up being a very, very, a nice mentor for me. He taught me a lot about discipline and, you know, how to be in the military. And that year, uh, you know, you know, you have a um, chief petty officer. So in the boot camp, you have like a re- recruit chief petty officer. So I ended up being the recruit chief petty officer. So when the chief left going home that left me in charge of the barracks. So I was responsible for getting the guys to and from uh the chow hall to the where we had to practice at marching. So and we had competitions between each command each company rather. And uh-huh. that particular year we won the brigade award for the best company. Great. Yep. So I left left boot camp and about 10 months later. No, but that wasn't quite 10 months, but maybe 10, 9, 10 weeks later. And uh-huh. I had, and everybody was getting their duty stations and some guys were going to Spain and Morocco and Puerto Rico and Hawaii. And I got my assignment. It said, Gulfport, Mississippi. I said, oh, my <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, my God. I didn't join the military to go to Mississippi. I could have went to Mississippi on my own. <laughs> but anyway, I end up down in Gulfport, Mississippi, in the, at the um, CB base, and the CBs are uh, basically the construction battalion for the Navy. Right, right. And I was uh, what they call a utility a, a, a utilitist man, which included HVAC, water treatment, pipe fitting. Um, what else? Um, and plumbing. Yes, of course, plumbing. Uh-huh. So I went with A school down there and uh, ended up being the class leader there as well. And after A school, we I, the program I enlisted in was called the four by ten program. Mm-hmm. Explain that. Go, yeah, you go, you go to you stay on active duty four to ten months. Then after you do those ten months, you stay you you in the reserve unit for six years. Oh, okay. So every once a month, I had to go and drill at the local military uh, naval station, air station. And then two weeks out of every year for six years, I had to go on active duty. So I did right. that for six years and we got a chance to do a lot of traveling all around the South, um, doing different kind of tasks. Like we built pontoon landing places down in Arkansas. And I learned a lot in the military and uh, it, it prepared me for. The kind of work I was going to do after the military. So, um, and what was that? I worked for I worked for all my life. I've been in either some kind of maintenance, repair, or either construction or construction management. I've never done anything else, probably. Um, but other than that, so I worked for the state for a little while as a maintenance carpenter. I uh, left there. Worked at various apartment communities, like a maintenance supervisor, taking huh. care of the maintenance um, operations, preventive maintenance, routine maintenance, emergency maintenance, and apartment complexes. I left there after a little while and went to work for um, Housing Urban Development, uh, the Housing Authority, and worked there for like 13 years. And I went there as a foreman when I left I did I had many jobs there I was worked for maintenance, I worked for modernization, and modernization was the area that projects the future needs of public housing and they did the major construction modification that kind of thing. I worked in contracting and I worked in training, so I did a lot of things at the housing authority there and was this back in Memphis or yeah all this was in Memphis yeah okay and um- after after MHA, I left there, and I went to work for myself, started my own little construction and management repair services. Ah, so uh, there's the entrepreneurial spirit. There you go. <laughs> so I did that until from '95 up into 2009. In 2009, I became sight-impaired. I've got glaucoma, advanced stages of glaucoma, and I had real severe cataracts on both eyes. So 2009, I went on disability and um, I still did small work. I still did some construction estimating and that kind of thing. Um, I had a program on my system um, that says if you were building a home and you sent me the blueprints to my computer, then I can scan that each page and tell the computer to pull out how much sheetrock is needed, how much pain needed, that kind of thing. And I did right and sent it back to the architecture firm or the contractor. And I did that for a little while until, okay. my, site, until my site just completely left me. So, um, and I, now I that that takes me to the other journey. After a while, uh, I never used my VA benefits. And I was going through the Tennessee Department of uh, Vocational Rehab, trying to learn how to go back to work with the digital impairment, right? Right. So they started to try to send me to some job like stuffing envelopes and you know oh, menial tasks. Yeah. yeah, and I, and I, I didn't want to do that. So um, they they asked me. They saw my record that I was a veteran. They asked me had I ever been over to the uh, VA medical center for any help. I said nope, I never been over there. Uh-huh. Well, that's where the journey started. I got over there and they uh evaluated me and they um brought me into the system. And at that time, a guy named Hugh Taylor, he was the uh VIST coordinator and the VIST coordinator is visual impairments service technician. And that they basically worked with the blinded veterans helping them get into the system as far as getting training and that kind of stuff. Right. So Hugh sent me to have um another eye test done, and from that eye test, they uh, declared me catastrophically disabled and unemployable. So um, from that point, I started going to blind rehab centers. And I think my first blind rehab center was in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I went there and I stayed, uh, I think, about 10 weeks. And I got an opportunity to kind of... um, Learn more about being blind or how and how to deal with the blindness. And it wasn't a deaf sentence being blind. So they had like manual skills, living skills, mobility training, computer training. Uh, I got a chance to go into the shop and actually show where I can't, I could still do some things, just had to learn how to do them differently.
0: Right, right.
1: And uh, that was the first year I went to blind rehab. And so I got home. Had a lot of new ideas, not new uh, techniques or how to do stuff. So I started kind of um, improving my life again because when I first lost, started losing my sight rate, I went into a little about six months of depression. And I went from like 205 pounds to 265 pounds in about six months. Sitting on the couch eating. Sitting on the couch eating king Downs and ice cream. <laughs> oh Lord, why me? And I'm blind. I can't do nothing. And yeah, you were you were the king of your own pity party, weren't you? Absolutely, absolutely, right. So, um, one particular morning, I was just kind of laying in the bed, and I had the sheets kind of pulled over my head because my wife, you know, getting ready to go to work, and she was telling me something, but I, I wasn't paying no attention. So I, I could kind of smell myself. <laughs> i could feel myself i could feel myself dying ray i really was oh my and i said I, I
0: don't think you were dying i just think you smelled that way
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably smaller fat behind my neck you know you had a big yeah. flesh road behind your head so <laughs> I had a triple decker working back there there you Basically. go you're a little, little cheesy yeah so but anyway the next time that i went back to birmingham to blind rehab I had a chance to meet this recreational therapist named Michelle Davis. And Michelle, if you're out there, I want to just tell you personally, thanks for, because she guided me in a direction that saved my life. And she introduced me to adaptive sports. Uh-huh. And that's how I got into adaptive sports. All right. Uh, let's explain that before
0: we move on. Because I oh, know some people out there who are not familiar uh, with uh, blind
1: programs and blind adaptive sports. Okay, any sport, whether it be uh, bowling, basketball, baseball, or whatever, you can uh, make it adaptive for a person with visual impairment by putting a bell or a buzzer or a rattle on the ball, for instance. One of the first um, things that they taught us is is the listening part, uh, learning how to listen instead of depending on your eyes. Listen to the sound of the ball, which way it's going, and, and you can learn how to play just by listening. Um, one of the first games that she uh, adapted sports game. Did you did, did was that clear for enough for you? You understand? Do you think that was clear? Oh yeah, I think people understand that. I think yeah. when you
0: when you talk about adaptive sports, the only thing that comes to mind for most people would be wheelchair basketball.
1: Well, no, it, it's it's just so many other games out there. Right there's uh. Gold ball, which is one of my favorites. Uh, here in Memphis, uh, I do operate a nonprofit and it's called the Tri State Adaptive Sports Association. Uh-huh. And uh, what we do is um, teach people in the community, veterans and non veterans, or in other grassroots groups that work with us to get the children to the school systems and adults to get involved and get out of the house and come out and play with us. So we have uh, bowling. Archery, tandem cycling, goal ball. It's those four core groups that we offer. And bowling, uh, we have uh, our own bowling, blind, our, our own blind bowling team that we compete. Uh, every year we have at least three tournaments here locally where people come in and participate in the bowling tournament. And our program Ray is kind of structured in three tiers. Tier one, includes just introducing that person to the game and let them feel the bowling ball let them go out to the lane to actually feel the lane uh-huh. um get them how how you know the safety part of any of the sports then tier two we actually let them start doing you know some of the activities like bowling they will roll the ball with the rails up or if we're doing archery we'll let them you know touch the bowl and maybe shoot an arrow under close supervision and then with go ball, um, and if you want, at any time you want me to explain go ball, I will. Um,
0: yeah, let's give a short description of that. I know okay. it
1: can get very involved, so just keep okay. It, keep it All short. Right. All right, go ball is a it's, it's it's a it's a three on three competition. We play on the court the side of, of a tennis court, They're thirty feet wide, sixty feet long. Uh, on each end of each court, there's a soccer type net, four feet tall, thirty feet long. Uh, the object of the game is to roll this ball that's slippy smaller than the basketball thicker than the basketball has has bells inside of it. You want to roll this ball like in bowling ball fashion to try to get it past the other three guys on the other end of the court and, and if you can get it into the net, that's one point. There are some very peculiar particular rules in the game uh, once the game starts for instance once you Everybody wears blacked out ski goggles, a hockey girl, a knee pads, elbow pads, because you kind of playing on your knees and sometimes laying on the floor. So you gotta be getting up and down. Uh-huh. It's a it's a game that has to be quiet. When the game starts, the referee will say, Hey, quiet in the gym, he'll blow a whistle and the game will start. Uh each the 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 player blocks is is has a border of uh, some gem floor tape underneath that tape ray we have string underneath that tape it's called orientation lines so you can touch the floor and touch the string tail where you are you have a right wing a center and a left wing kind of playing in a triangle and it's mm-hmm. it's, it's a super fun game
0: sounds like it's a very fast moving game
1: it, it can be fast moving but one of the things that we are looking at for the future ray is um, start maybe a senior division for ball so guys uh, 45 and older can keep playing without having to play against the youngsters. Because oh, these, yeah. young, <laughs> these young guys that play ball they are very serious. And if you get them that court with them, you better be ready. So I, we would <laughs> like someday just start to slow it down a little bit instead of playing uh check us let play a little smarter chess game and just slow it down a little bit so the seniors can still play cuz it teaches uh awareness improve your awareness and it can, it can comp- improve your communication uh right. you got to talk to your members because you, everybody's blindfolded you got sometimes we tap on the floor we might just let know what we're, let the people know where we are on the court and there's a technique involved so it's a very it's a it very very good game
0: Good. Well, I'm yeah. glad it it does um, helps your senses. I'm sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, especially your sense of uh, space, the space, and uh, as well, uh, just being able to communicate with your other teammates. Now, you keep in mind, everybody's blindfolded. Right. And you now is you're allowed to talk? Only the pairs on the floor can talk, uh, and and you can talk to each player. Like if I hit a ball. On my side, I'll tell my team, hey, the ball is on the right, and we'll make the appropriate move to go to the right or the left or that kind of thing. But all the players on the bench and the coach cannot talk while yeah. the game is going on. You have to call a timeout. That's the only time you can talk. If you're talking on the bench, there you that team that, that penalty, team could get a penalty for a noise penalty. Cause you yeah. have to yeah. have quiet in the gym so you can hear the ball. As it coming down the court. Got gotcha. you. Yeah. Now, uh, are the coaches sighted or are they also blinded? Some, some of my, most of my sighted. I do coach uh, a younger team, and with, and I usually have a sighted person assisting me just to let me know. But, but by me playing the game before, I can hear the ball and tell where it goes, and I can, I can make adjustment just by listening. Uh huh. Yeah. Wow,
0: that's that's amazing. Mm hmm. But they say that uh, when you lose one sense, your others become more heightened.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You, it, it, it does. Uh, everything really intensifies. You're hearing, you smell, your taste. And just being, you know, just being, now you go outside, and now I actually can I hear the birds singing. Before I lost my sight, I'm looking versus, versus listening, and you can hear the little sounds that you never even pay attention to when you're sighted, you know? Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that. Um, I'm a little more aware of myself and certain things that I, I took for granted before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like you said, the birds in the sky, and
1: right, right, the wind yeah. whistling through the trees, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. That kind of thing, yeah. And you know, the, and then the other part of my life, uh, Ray. I am a lifetime member with the Blind Veteran Association. Same here. I, I, I belong to the Tennessee Reading Group Blind Veteran Association, which is under District Two. Uh-huh. Uh, and the district director for the area is, is Brian Harris, Um not a wonderful leader. And, uh, for the Tennessee reading group, our basic responsibility is to try to help advocate for the blinded veterans across the state of Tennessee. For those that don't know anything about blind rehab or what services are out there for them, do we try to get them involved and advocate for them and making sure that they, um, getting it the benefit that they well deserve by serving in the military. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, I just joined the BVA. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to getting involved, and I'm looking forward to going to the uh, the conference this year.
1: Yeah, it's the, the convention this year is going to be in St. Louis, Missouri. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, August the 14th through the 18th. Yeah. Yeah, it's,
0: uh, it's right down the road for me.
1: Okay, cool.
0: Yeah, I live really close to St. Louis, about
1: 40 minutes away. Yeah, I'm about four hours away here in Memphis. Yeah, four or five hours, depending on who's driving, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not driving. You don't You don't think, huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me know when you're going to be driving because I'll, I'll be sure to tell my driver to stay off the road. Stay off the road, right, yeah. So, so um, after goal ball, what um, – what more do you do with the um, with your association there?
1: Well, uh, in March, um, well, let me go back. A couple of years ago, I had opportunity to get into the uh, Shelby County School System here. And I one of the things we immediately noticed that the children that had uh, physical and mental barriers most of the time was sitting in the bleachers and nobody had. Could find anything for them to do, so we started trying to um, introduce adaptive sports to them. And as a result of that, this year in March we did do a um, adaptive sports weekend for the children here locally. And uh-huh. yeah, and we introduced them to the same. We did um, archery, disc golf, cornhole, uh, introducing to goalball and. Um, and we let them look at touch some of the tandem cycles cause we, they weren't really ready to ride yet. So we introduced them to that. We had about 35 children that came out and they had a great time. So we're looking forward to building that program up a little more and hopefully have some more, uh, adaptive sports weekend in the, in the future. Right. And, um, we do, um, work with the, um, Vietnam War veterans here locally, Chapter 1113, and they had a, a facility. One of the guys I actually grew up with back in the Orange Mountain days, uh, Linda Perkins, is the president for the chapter, Vietnam War veterans, Chapter 1113. And the city donated to them about 46 acres of land that used to be a nine-hole golf course. Oh, wow. So we was at, we actually uh, have an office over there, and it's an excellent facility for training because there's no through traffic. Uh, it's very secure. uh it's plenty of space for walking. Like I said, it sits on 46 acres, and it's got picnic tables and um, uh, a, a center there where you can go in and, and have lunch and have meetings and have conferences. And, um, that's where all our equipment store is stored in. So most of the time, most of the events we have is actually, I'm just sitting on, we have it over there. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um,
0: I noticed that you guys, um, you don't do like horseback riding or canoeing or anything like that. Oh, yeah. we. Oh, you a- do?
1: Yeah. Actually, um, back in October, we went to Lubbock, Texas to a, um, Texas Tech University, and we uh-huh. did uh, equine therapy there. And okay. at, at actually in June the 15th, 16th, and the 17th, we, we're going to be back in Lubbock again. They invite us to come back for another round of uh, equine therapy. Cool. Yeah. So there,
0: there are a lot of things that um, visually
1: impaired and blind veterans can do. Absolutely. You just have to get yourself out there. Absolutely. There are so many organizations like one of our main sponsors uh, for athletics is the Challenge Athlete Foundation. And they have been absolutely wonderful as a sponsorship for helping veterans to um, get in, get back and forth to the different events, uh, purchasing bikes for them, trained equipment. They will also even uh, have a, a trainer to help you get trained for whatever event you want to get involved in right that's, uh, there's there's united states association of blind athletes they're out there move united i mean it just wounded warriors uh it just so many things that that the uh veterans can be getting involved in and that's hope this message can get out to everybody that come on out and play with us
0: right it's not a death sentence being no right. it's not definitely not and i thought when it first happened to me um I thought that's what it was. It's yeah. like, What can I do now? You know,
1: woe is me. <laughs> Absolutely, but but they. I mean, they. The BVA even has a um, component within the BVA called Team BVA, and it, it, they also help veterans get involved in adaptive sports, from from uh, snow skiing to kayaking, uh, from hunting. Um, Trail, like you know, walking trails, it just, just a lot of things you can get involved in. There's no need to not be involved. Yeah, I, uh, I met
0: a guy through this uh, podcast. His name is um, Lonnie, and
1: um, yeah, Lonnie he, Bedwell.
0: Yeah, Lonnie Bedwell. He is yeah. an amazing, amazing veteran.
1: Absolutely, he's an inspiration to all of us. He's uh, climbing Mount Everest as we speak. Yeah, he should be pretty close to the top now. I think, shouldn't
0: he? That's that's what I hear. But uh, yeah.
1: who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but Lonnie is a,
0: anything can happen, you know. Yeah, the trailblazer for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. He's yeah. a he's a daring person. Yeah. I would never even attempt something like that, even if I had vision.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that's that's you know, some. I think some of the things that I'm doing now, uh, Ray like snow skiing if i could see i don't think i would be doing (laughs) it yeah
0: that sounds a little dangerous to me yeah
1: it's but it's 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 fun though and it just and by you having not depending on your eyes to to see for you have to learn to communicate with instructors and and they take very good care of you And, and you still can get out there and do it
0: yeah, I'm just not yeah. a cold weather
1: person. I don't think
0: yeah. I'd like snow skiing at all. Mhm. Now, if it were, you know, 80 degrees out, now yeah, I could do that,
1: but there wouldn't be any snow. Yeah, they you know they and they do have some warm warm climate they, like the um the the Summer Sports Festival that's sponsored by the VA Adaptive Sports. is a good venue for veterans to go that don't like cold weather. Uh-huh. It, It's in San Diego every year. I think it's going to be the first week in June this year. It's the uh, Summer Sports Festival. They do like surfing, kayaking, sailing, archery. I've been to most of the programs before. Yeah. I know
0: some of my listeners are probably asking, well, aren't you guys on disability? And how do you afford to go to all these things?
1: Through the kind sponsorship of groups like, like I said, Challenge fee Foundation, um, a lot of the groups get funding under the V-Adaptive Sports Grant. And sometimes we just advocate and fundraise for ourselves. We definitely couldn't go if we didn't have those sponsorships. It would be kind of difficult.
0: Yeah. So usually um, there's no money out of your pocket to do this thing, is do these things, are there?
1: It's very minimum, very minimum cost to you. I guess
0: sometimes you have to buy your own meals, but,
1: um other sometimes, that- but, but most of the times the meals are, most of the time the meals are even covered at the venues you attend. They always have meals for us. Uh-huh. Well, that sounds like a great program. Yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's um, it's, it's worth getting involved in. I'll say that I'm, I'm, I'm just a living witness how it changed my life and I'm, Right now, I'm just turning 69. I still move around pretty good. And I, my weight is down. I'm back to my average weight, which is 218 pounds from 260 several years ago. Um, off a lot of some of the medications. And, you know, I got to tell you a funny story, Ray. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had uh, these huge cataracts on my eyes, right? Yeah. So... Finally, I found a doctor that said he could take them off because everybody was concerned about if they took the cataracts off, the little light that I was having, you might, it might be a possibility that I go really totally, totally blind. Right. So I took the chance and let them get the cataracts off. So they did the cataract surgery and I went back the next day and they took the patch off. And for the first time, I could actually see my wife's silhouette. So I got home, and in my hallway, Ray, is a mirror room. And I'm coming down the hallway by myself, and I hadn't seen myself in a mirror in over 20 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, I can see where so, this is going. Go ahead. So, so I, I saw this person in my mirror, I said, oh, somebody's in my house. So I'm trying to race to the back so i can get some protection and i thought about it i said fool that's you in the mirror <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, you know just just little stuff like being able to see my shadow again it's been very rewarding so i'm not perfect my sight did come back perfect but i moved to, to like 2400 and i can see uh a little bit clearer now but not clearly but I thank God for what I do have now. I thought I would never see anything again. So, but I can see just a little bit now. So the cataract surgery helped. Absolutely did. Yeah, yeah. I think the doctor told me those those cataract was about big as a rock that was in my eyes. He said, "I don't, oh, wow. know, I don't know how they could see in your eye. I can't even see. I know you can't see out because I can't see inside your eye." <laughs> so wow, yeah, but it, it worked, and 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 I tell you it's. Just never give up. That's my message today to anybody out here. Just never give up. It ain't over to the cashes drop. There you go. Yeah. Till they start pouring that dirt on top of you. That's absolutely. What. Until then, keep fighting. Yeah.
0: Well, I was going to ask you at the end of this uh, interview, uh, do you have anything? you'd like to really stress, and I'm sure that's one thing you want to stress to that, other that, veterans out there.
1: That's what all the veterans out there that can hear me, uh, contact, go to, go to your primary care doctor and ask your, care, your primary care doctor to for a consult to go to recreation therapy and let those therapists at the hospitals evaluate what you want to do. It may be something simple as, building buried houses or learn how to play guitar which i've started to do uh uh-huh. learn how to play music or just get back learn how to play sports again and get involved in your community and just let's show people that blindness is not a death sentence we can do everything that a sighted person can do just have to do it a little bit different right that's it
0: well i've always been accused of being a little different So, (laughs) yeah. All my life.
1: Yeah, I'm in the same boat. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But uh, I I really appreciate um, talking to you and learning more about you. So, um, let's dig a little further into your life. Um, Okay. So, what would you like to tell the people out there about um,
1: mainly how you grew up? Well, like I said, I grew up. Around a lot of um people that was pretty much work for themselves, uh-huh. with five brothers and five sisters, it was never dull moment right I, I never had i never um had a lonely time. I always had somebody to play with, and for the four of my brothers was older than me, so I always kind of got the sucker hand gear <laughs> you know so but I learned just by watching them and and how to how to be a man how how to take care of yourself and just don't make excuses you know I, i'm i'm, I'm we're living in one of the richest countries in the world and we shouldn't have to be suffering but you have to get up and get involved and do something for yourself that, be it, excited or or not just don't give up and there's something for everybody to do as a specialty so learn what that specialty is and get involved
0: right yeah don't just sit on the bench
1: that's don't sit on the bench yeah
0: so um tell me more about your family um you said you had five brothers and sisters
1: i had uh i've lost uh like my parents died my mother died about 14 years ago my my dad been gone about 16 years I lost uh, three brothers and one sister, so it's seven of us left now. Okay, I've got uh, four sisters left and two brothers. Um, one brother lives out in California, and the other brother lives here in Memphis with me. Um, we we were kind of a close knit family, and it seemed like when Mom passed, it kind of changed a little bit. Right, we still talk, but not like we used to. She um, was kind- Blue that held you all together. Absolutely. She was the true matriarch. She, you know, everything came through mom, yeah. Um, Like I said, I, I um, just always been kind of one of those persons that I always asked a lot of questions. I love reading. I used to read, always read and ask questions. I used to watch men working. It always amazed me how you could take a flat piece of land and then Four months. There's a house sitting there, and people living in it. Right. That's, that what got me interested in construction and the construction management, and just and once you learn how to do something like that, you always always can work. Now, it, have you have you been involved with Habitat for Humanity? I worked with them before. We actually did a lot of volunteering with them. Actually, help build some of those houses. Yes. Yeah, we uh
0: we did a mission trip. Uh, Years ago, down to Memphis, and um, there was a Habitat for Humanity actually there at the time. Yes. And that we were sta- we ra- staying in a church, and uh, right there in, uh, oh, I can't think of the neighborhood we were at, but it wasn't too far from uh, downtown.
1: Mm, was it Bailey Baptist Church?
0: It could have been. Yeah, I think that sounds very familiar.
1: Yeah, no, that was a huge church. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was kind of
1: old and run down. Uh, when we were there, and, well, uh, that, that could have been Baby Baptist then, because none of their stuff is running down. Maybe that was like maybe Claiborne Temple. If it was downtown, Claiborne Temple, Mason Temple, one of those churches probably sound like. Uh, well, it wasn't
0: right downtown. It was on the the verge of downtown.
1: Okay, yeah,
0: but uh, uh, we we were we were we were working with homeless people that were there, and mm. uh, but it was very nice. Um, it was a very big church. And I'm sure at one time it was a it was a happening place. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. While, while we were there, um, the windows uh, were shot. And some drive came by and shot at the windows.
1: Yeah. And so it wasn't a very safe neighborhood. Well, it seems like it's, it's repeating itself because it's not a safe neighborhood out here now. So yeah. it's it, amazing, yeah.
0: I'm sure that a lot of urban areas do go through those cycles where, Mm -hmm. you know, one time they're really nice neighborhoods, then it goes down, downhill, and then it comes back.
1: You know, know, we were talking earlier about being in the South. Uh I think that's one of the um, things that's kind of destroyed our communities when we thought we were going to integrate and say the integrate situation. We know when we was in our own communities, we had a lot of, the children was in the community. So when you take the children out of the community, you take all the base out of the community cause a lot of the children that's, you know, when they go to school right in the community, everybody knows everybody. And when we were, when I was coming along, anybody on the street could discipline you. Cause everybody like a family. And when we started this busing situation, it took the children out of the community. So, in the evening, when the children get out of school with them nickels and dimes to go and buy some cookies and lollipops, that sustained a lot of businesses. You'll be uh-huh. how nickels and dimes add up. So, when they took the children out of the neighborhood, it took the economic part of the community out as well. So, right. as a result, a lot of these small businesses closed up and end up being um food deserts and it just um uh, I think we should have just um stayed in place it, it just make everything equal and everybody have a fair shake in life rather than busting and out the cheer not to commit it like that like they did it kind of hurt us a lot
0: I think that yeah. their their goal was to try and make it all equal um I understand. Why they did it, but um, I, I agree. I don't. I don't think they should have done it.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. Well, the the concept might have been okay, but nobody. I think the idea was to send our children in, out of their communities and and the, and the other children come back to our community, but it didn't work like that. Nobody. Right. Nobody came back. To <laughs> Nobody wanted to come to your community. right, and and they end up rather than coming back to those schools, they started their own private schools, and and that's since that's where we are now. So, so instead of
0: integrating, it became more segregated.
1: More than more than you could more than you could ever remember. Yeah, right. So, but it was it was I came up in a time I think was a very good time because, like I said, it was um. It was it was more community based time when I came up and like I said, everybody in the community knew everybody. Right. And if 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 I if, if my neighbor saw me throwing rocks or something, she could come out that front porch and whoop take my whoop my tail and take me home. And my mom oh, yeah. would
0: whoop my tail. Then you get whipped
1: again. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But now we don't even know who the next old neighbor is. Exactly. Yeah, you, can live, you can live. beside somebody now for 15 years. Don't even know
0: who your neighbor is next door to you. And now, if you touch somebody else's kid, you'll get sued.
1: Yeah, or worse that, or worse, you know, or worse, you'll get beat up yourself, mm-hmm. shot or whatever. But like I said, though, and and with, with having the big brothers, like the older brothers, like I did, I watched them uh, work, and I learned how to work with them and my uncles and cousins. I was- <laughs> So, um, Uh-oh. okay but like i said it, it was a great time though in life for me doing those by coming up ages and in the 70s you know it was a, a lot to learn i learned a lot right yep yeah. well
0: uh it was a tr- a troubling time you know i grew up in uh The 60s and 70s also. Mm -hmm. We're about the same age. Right. um, I I grew up in uh, Los Angeles, California. Okay. And uh, we lived really close to um, Watts. I'm sure you heard of the Watts riots back in the 60s. Oh, yeah. 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 And um, I saw whole neighborhoods being burnt to the ground. Oh, yeah. And and as a kid, you just don't understand what's going on. Yeah. But uh, as I got a little older, you know. All my friends were either black, white, or Mexican. There was mm-hmm. no, you know, there was nobody else in the neighborhood other than yeah. that. So you had to make friends, and and I, I would kill for these people because um, they were just like brothers to me. And um, so anyhow, it's it's yeah. um, it's how you're raised, I think. It's
1: uh, yeah, you know, something else. Ray, uh, come to think of it, during that period of time. Um, they used to um, sponsor uh, baseball teams in the city. And each neighborhood had their own little baseball team. And we go from neighborhood to neighborhood in, in, in competition. They used to they, – they bought our own uniform, furniture, bats, the balls, everything. And uh-huh. I don't – see, that's a part of the community that's missing now. Right. Right. Um, and you just don't. You, you go to the park now. You don't even see children in the park playing anymore. It, they're, they're at home on the computer playing games, video games, video games, instead of running, jumping, and having fun.
0: Yeah, I can remember always being outside. Always never, outside. never did I go inside. Mm-hmm. Only at night. And and the rule was when the street lights come on, you better get your butt home.
1: Be on that. Be, be on that front porch. Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you so, weren't on the
1: front porch when the street lights came on, you were in trouble. But but one of my, one of my oldest brothers, Curtis, and my next to the other brother Lewis, they both were um avid golfers. Uh-huh. And we we like I said, the community came up in, there was a um a golf course called Colonial Country Club there. And one year I know Jack Nicholas won the Memphis Open. And my brother Curtis catted for him that year. Oh, cool. Yeah. And um he bought my brother brand new fifty seven Chevrolet, red wow. Drop top convertible Chevrolet. Me won it open there. So but they played golf all the time. I think I think I probably played golf before I played anything. Um, and they just graduated from golf to basketball to baseball, football, goal ball. Now we play everything. So yeah. <laughs> so you've always been athletic then? Always have been athletic, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I tell you what, it's been um, a pleasure talking to you today. I'm getting ready to wrap this thing up. Okay. And um, we've been almost uh, an hour. And uh, I like to keep them under an hour because people lose interest after that. Absolutely, but uh, it has been a pleasure talking to you, Calvin. And uh,
1: thank you, Ray. It's nice talking to you as well. I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to, to talk about what we do here in this in this trash state area. And um, like I say, for all you veterans out there, get up and get busy, and come out and play with us.
0: I like that. Come out and play with us.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to do a little quick commercial uh, for the web for the podcast, and then uh, after that, I just want you to hang on for a minute, and we'll say goodbye after that. Okay? Okay. That's cool. All right, brother. Hang on. Well, folks, you've been listening to the Blind Spot by Ray Morales. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, or if you have suggestions on guests, you know somebody that might want to be interviewed, uh, please give me a, shoot me an email here, and the email address is the Blind Spot. 298 at gmail.com that's the blind spot 298 at gmail.com um, i'm open to hear any of your suggestions and comments also um please just uh, call my phone number is 270-339-6448 if you uh want to talk to me and you you don't want it to be public knowledge just give me a call uh, always here for you and uh if you need anything at all, if you're a blind veteran, you're newly blind, blind and you don't know what to do, please give me a holler and uh, I'll set you in the right direction. Someone that can talk, talk to you like Calvin or uh, any of our other guests. They're willing to talk. Um, we've had all people from all different walks of life. So don't be afraid. Just give us a holler. Reach out and we'll reach back. All right. This has been Ray Morales with The Blind Spot. Uh, tune in next week for another exciting guest.